Welcome to this week's Sports Insight Extra podcast for Formula 4 Media in Great Neck, New York. Formula 4 Media publishes vertical trade magazines, Textile Insight, Sports Insight, Footwear Insight, Outdoor Insight, and Sports Style. And it also publishes digital magazines, Sports Insight Extra once a week, Footwear Insight Extra twice monthly, and Textile Insight Extra once a month. Now it's time for this week's podcast. We are speaking with Mr. Erwin Rye, co-chair of the Sports Industry Group. His extensive experience on sports business issues from both the professional and collegiate levels includes overseeing new stadium development projects, television, radio, media rights agreements, and licensing arrangements and management agreements. He is an owner of the minor league baseball team, the Oklahoma City Dodgers, and the Los Angeles Football Club in Major League Soccer. Earlier in his career, he was the assistant counsel to the Gore Lieberman presidential campaign and later served as an associate counsel in the White House Office of Counsel to the Vice President. Mr. Rye joins me here today to discuss the NCAA's recent announcement that it will stray from its long-standing position and allow student-athletes to benefit from their likenesses. The vote came after California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the state's fair play bill into law in late September, and other states, including Florida and Illinois, announced that they were considering passing similar legislation that will grant collegiate players ownership of their name, image, and likeness. Rule changes within each of the NCAA's three divisions are expected no later than January of 2021. Thanks for joining me today, Erwin. Uh, first, I wanted to know if you could ask you what you make of the NCAA's decision on this matter, and did they have a change of heart, and if so, why? Well, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's clear the NCAA, at least from my view, had a, had felt some pressure as a result of the legislation passed in California and the subsequent proposed legislation in multiple states, including South Carolina, Florida, and others. Tied on this topic is really the tide and the, and the, and the momentum on this topic has really evolved, right? The, the views of, of the public evolved, has evolved significantly. When we talk, you know, the NCAA has always talked about amateurism while a very strong and healthy business was developing and the economics around that as such has, has led to a certain demand for change. And so I, I think the NCAA, you give them credit for listening and announcing a change, but the truth be told, it's just an announcement there's uh, there's lots of work to be done. And frankly, in the interim, while they're promulgating their rules, if they wait till January 2021, in the meantime, you're likely going to have additional states pass legislation and, and additional pressure and possible pressure for uh, federal legislation, which is actually, I think, what the NCAA prefers, one set of rules versus multiple set of rules. And do you think these pending rule changes will dramatically change how top collegiate athletes uh, will be compensated by outside companies, companies within the next three years? I think in the next... I think in the next two to five years, I would think sooner rather than later. But yeah, I do think, I think student athletes, you're going to see an effort to find a balance between compliance concerns and amateurism and the need to compensate these athletes since their their intellectual property is being monetized. And there's been lots of talk about how to compensate athletes whether it was related to their personal IP or, uh, or or whatever else, whether or not there should be additional stipend and, and how should they be credited for, for the value they bring to a university. And the universities and, and the NCAA have always said we're giving them an education and skills for life. And that and I, I think that's probably right, but there's more to it than that. It's clearly why we, we're, we are where we are. But I, but I think how these athletes get compensated in the regulatory or compliance structure in which it in which it is structured is really open because you still need to have safeguards. If you have concepts of amateurism and you have fairness principles where you don't want you know go back to the 70s and 80s where boosters were running were basically run the process, the recruiting process. You need to have a, a set of rules that's applicable for everyone that that protects 
the system in some way, shape, or form. You know, think about it another way. If you don't have a structure that's fair and balanced, what you end up having is big markets or strong alumni bases have a stronger pull than smaller markets. So classic uh, example, UCLA in the middle of one of the largest media markets in the world, how are you going to exploit that IP versus someone that's in Boise? You know, maybe maybe it's by, by, its, by its nature it's supposed to be different, but if it's if it's too different, uh, you, you really can create a uh, really uh, you know challenging competitive environment and, and, and some and you know there's some dangerous pitfalls there too. So so I think you know there there will be compensation. How it's structured, whether you know some of the contemplated or discussed this clearinghouse concept. Some have you know, talked about revenue sharing with the universities. I, I don't know what the right mechanism should be, but there needs to be some safeguards and there needs to be a balance so that so that it doesn't shift completely from one side to the other. The, 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 right, the point is right now the NCAA is monetizing everything right. and the athlete is monetizing nothing. Shifting and providing rights to the athlete, the intent shouldn't be to give the athlete 100% of the monetization right either. Oh, right? More of a ba- you see more of a balance you're saying, really. That, that's my viewpoint. I see. Right? My viewpoint is that we should be striving to find a balance you know, as, as a fair consideration for their you know, contributions and efforts. Listen, I was a I, I was an athlete in college for one year. I was uh, I was on the crew team, and and listen, I, I wasn't a college football player, or a college basketball player. And I can all I know is that the commitments as a college athlete to your university and to yourself are pretty significant, right? You are you're training, you're working, you're, you still have to study. It is your time. You have pretty significant time constraints, and granted, it's your interest, but it's you're you're investing in each other, and so we should find ways to invest back in the athlete. Hearing these stories about athletes not being able to find jobs because of NCAA rules or there's concerns or it's just that that just shouldn't be happening. And so I, I think again this is whether it's IP and IP seems to be the what's broken through as a as you know, the focus for revenue opportunity monetization opportunity to athletes, but whether that's the only spot or whether it's just a point of fairness to the athlete, and again, balancing between the university NCAA system and the athlete, and that's what, that's what I think we should be striving. These top athletes at major universities with major sports programs will be flocking to get legal representation before they start their sports program at those schools because of this rule change. Working for uh, legal uh, legal representation, you know, so they can strike their, you know, or the, and maybe there's some pitfalls in doing that, you know, getting their, you know, getting legal representation so they can strike these deals on their own or whatever? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question because this gets into the pitfalls and risks that exist, right? That actually opens the door for some people to potentially take advantage of these athletes too. And so, again, trying to find the right way to structure it. Should these agents be registered? Should these agents go through a compliance course sell? Should these should these lawyers or attorneys or, or whatever? What what should be the, the ground rules for how folks operate? So not only do they that maximize the opportunity for the athlete, is fair to the university and also is, you know, fair to the student athlete, right? There's, there's a, look, what I was saying is that could athletes hire attorneys? They could. I mean, it's a possibility. Look, I don't think the rules are clear yet. Um, and hiring an attorney right now may not be a real good use of funds. It could be a point in time where student athletes are encouraged to have lawyers prior to entering college or while they're going through the college recruiting process. That being said, I, I think there might be a way of, you know, there may be a better way of, of developing a more, a, a, a safer environment 
environment to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of an athlete. Give me an example. Uh, you know, we think about the pros example. A, an NFL agent is is limited in what they are allowed to generate from a revenue perspective. Right? There, there's cap. There, there, um, there's a structure, a, a fee structure in place to protect, to provide some level of protection. Is it perfect? No, it's not. There's always going to be exceptions. But should any of that exist for a, should any of that exist for a student athlete who is hiring an attorney for the first time? I don't know. I mean, it, the answer, I don't really have the answer. I'm just asking the question, really. I think right. these are the questions, the, the, the questions that people have to think through. So, yes, we have to, again, find find the revenue opportunity for the athlete. Great. We find, have to find a way to balance that revenue opportunity for what the university is providing, too. Right? Great. So, I, I think there's a, a balance on both sides. Then, how do we protect the system? How do we make sure that this is still a fair, competitive system for everyone? So, once you get past the revenue side of it, how do you keep the system balanced and competitive and safe? And, and what I mean by safe is how do you how do you actually protect the app? Many of which wouldn't have had many experiences with attorneys, especially in this in this arena. And so, concept of IP likeness, etc. So, you want to find it. So, again, should this should this entire process be run by the universities now? If there's a revenue sharing obligation, a revenue sharing concept in place that everyone's rolling in the same direction in the agreement, maybe this should be run by the universities and the universities manage it, and they get and the individual player gets a paycheck a portion of the revenue. And again, you know, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I, you can make an argument that in that kind of structure, the university would be a better position to protect the legal right of players if, if the revenue shares are agreed upon the university's incentive to get the maximum out on the on the contract right so on the you know so everyone's yeah everyone should be you know incented the right way it's just a matter about at that point is developing the right control i see and do you see do you see um Collegiate now being able to deal directly with the Nike, Adidas, Under Armour of the world and strike apparel deals and maybe other consumer product companies such as video game, those in the video game industry and even food product companies now seeing this as a new revenue, a new market for them to market their wares? I mean, it's possible. Look, if you're a Nike or a Reebok, Under Armour, whomever you are, you would have concerns with something like this when you're making deals with a university. If you're making a team-wide deal and you have a player on the field that says, not going to wear your, your equipment because he's done a market deal with someone else that's that's her and so and that and that think that's something that you know has to be dealt with somewhere in this in this process right from a legislative pr- perspective to protect you know the ambush advertising approach that could occur look I, I think I, I think there could be an opportunity especially for those elite athletes that, you know that people are very high on. but I think you know I think what you'll find is a lot more local revenue opportunities you're going to find every once in a while a transcendent individual and the one that you know that pops in my mind is Zion, Zion, right? I mean, he had more Twitter followers. He had a social media project following that's enormous. Now, that's an interesting person. That that would have been the interesting case study. I, I can't think of many college athletes that had that kind of social media following that would be appealing as an individual. But so locally, it's always going to be. I think there's always going to be value. Nationally, is a different is a different question. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Uh, collegiate players beyond football, Division One football and basketball, being able to benefit from this? Well, that's a market driven question. Uh, I. I Possibly, but there has to be a market for it. Maybe it creates some flexibility to get something here or there, but it's not going to be, uh, it, it, I don't know how significant it's going to be. It, it might go beyond basketball and football. I don't, you know, hockey, I could see some parts of college hockey, I could 
important college baseball. I, I don't know if you know for the example I was listening earlier about crew and my experience as a crew. I'm not. Now I wouldn't be. I'd be a little surprised if it really drifted down and created a real value at the at, at some of the non-revenue producing sports. But water you never know. Look, there's water polo at Pepperdine. I mean, is it really? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to have any national following or whatever. Right. I mean, that that will have really a big. You know, that that's a great example. Gymnastics is a great example. People go to it and people enjoy it. But it's but does it really drive revenue? I, the answer is I don't know. Anything that's televised has a chance. And I just want to ask you last, Mr. Wright, your your final thoughts on this uh, this process that's now going to apparently take over a year or at least a year, maybe fourteen months to for the NCAA to reach some resolution. Do you have any over final thoughts on what's going on here? Sure. Listen uh, again. Thanks for thanks for having me on and and appreciate the questions. I, I would just say that for the NCAA, the NCAA has realized and recognized change is necessary. Waiting till 2021, I'm not sure that's going to be fast enough for how the market is, is moving and evolving. And so that, I don't know if that timeline sticks. I don't know if that timeline moves up. But either way, I think the NCAA is, this is the first step in a in a longer process to find some real, deal with some really interesting issues and, you know, to, to work through that really should benefit the student athlete in a real way and hopefully bring some uh, more balance to the system. So, but but I'm not, I'm not convinced January of 2021 is going to be soon enough. And, and what what happened between now and January 2021 when, again, you know, we're in, it is October, the last day of October in 2019. Like I said, there are multiple bills going in multiple legislature, legislators, right, legislatures right now. What is the NCAA going to do while those laws are in effect? Are they going to disqualify athletes in California? That's a very good question. I, I guess there's a lot to be right. pay, pay attention to in the next, in the coming months here in 2020, I assume. So they, they may be contemplating promulgating final rules by 2021, but what are they going to do in the interim? And that hasn't because been determined there's a lot, yet. There's a lot going on. Right, that hasn't been determined yet. Well, thanks, Well, thanks, Erwin. I've been speaking with Mr. Erwin Rye, Sports Industry Group Co-Chair, and you've been listening to the latest edition of the Sports Inside Extra podcast. Learn about the latest sports industry news every Monday afternoon at the website or on your mobile device by signing up for a free subscription. And don't forget to catch up on this and every podcast at sportsinsideextra.com or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. I am Bob McGee.